Well, 2020 is coming to an end. We only have five more days. And for some of us, when we think about the end of this year, we think about it couldn't come any faster. For some of us, we want to flip the page as fast as we can, because when we think about this year, it's been unpredictable, unusual, and unprecedented. It's been a wild and crazy ride. From our family circles to neighbors down the street to fellow citizens across the the state and even around the world, this year featured much heartaches and hardship, difficulty and divisions, as well as confusion and changes. And even though a promising vaccine is on the horizon, we still may be waiting for travel plans celebration events, and even large family gatherings. So what are we to do? How should we approach the the new year or the new day? Scriptures tells us from Psalm 90 to teach us to number our days. This can be a prayer for us throughout the year, for a day like today, for a new year coming up. And so let us look into God's Word. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And let me read the Word. Again, this is a prayer. The Word of the Lord reads, Lord, You have been my dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever You had formed the earth, in the world, from everlasting, everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set your iniquities before us, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to end like a sigh. The years of our life were 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning, with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servant, and your glorious power to your children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And may the Lord add his blessing in the reading of his word. 
When we think about Psalm 90, historically, Moses wrote Psalm 90, which happens to also be the oldest contribution in the book of Psalms. This particular psalm is a, is a prayer by Moses, and most Bible scholars give the settings around Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, people of Israel in some sense are rounding the corner, almost approaching the promised land. Numbers chapter 20, Moses' sister Miriam had just passed away. His brother would pass away, and the nation had grown out loud. They rather preferred to die in Egypt than to be stuck on this wandering journey that has been going in circles. Some things to note that Israel had refused to follow Moses' leadership and to trust God fully. So instead of entering the, the promised land by faith, they wandered aimlessly for 40 years. Think about it. They wasted time. They, they wasted their talents. They wasted their availability, their, their choices. An entire generation would pass before they entered. In those years, Moses had witnessed more deaths, more burials, more funerals, even 10,000 being struck down on a single day, more than any other leader. Is it no wonder that Moses would say a prayer to, to the Lord God Almighty and he would ask, teach us, teach us to number our days. And so this morning, let us consider the wondrous truth and the perspectives from Psalm 90 and begin with verse 1. Verse 1 is, begins as we should start each day, begin with our Lord God. It starts off with a great affirmation of, of God, not as our helper, but as the sovereign one, the Lord God Almighty. The Lord is our dwelling place for all generations. Dwelling place means a place of refuge or, or home base. And it's interesting, Moses would ascribe this to God first and foremost. And if you consider Moses' background, you know, the first 40 years of his life, he was in Egypt. He spent another couple of decades in, in the desert preparing for the ministry. And then the, these last couple of decades, these past 40 years, He's leading Israel wandering around in the wilderness. So Moses was constantly on the move, traveling about, circling about, traveling in this, in the, wandering in this wilderness. And yet the first thing that he would mention about the Lord God is his dwelling place. God is our refuge. God is our, our home. The one constant that Moses had in his life is the Lord's presence. Brothers and sisters, may that be an encouragement to us right off the bat, those who of us who have believed in God, those who of us trusted in the Lord. No matter where we are, where we live, where are we going, God is our dwelling place. He, he is our Emmanuel. God is with us no matter what stage of life that we're in. 
no matter what crisis we face, no matter what type of mountains we have to climb, no matter what valleys we have to walk through, God is with us. You can make the case that we are never homeless or we are never home alone. Homelessness is is never a state of those who believe in God. We understand now, especially with Christ, who dwelt or tabernacled among us, lived and eventually died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And those who believe in Christ, we have his presence. We have a home in him. We have Christ, our refuge, a presence we receive, peace, and rest, especially as we walk in a weary world. We have a place, we have a home in God where love, grace, and mercy can flourish. And so Moses, right off the bat, says, God is our dwelling place for all generations. The next thing he does in verse 2 is he, he ascribes or recognize the eternality of God from everlasting to everlasting. The Lord, God, Lord is God from start to finish. This is the one attribute that blows us away because we're so used to the finite. And when we talk of God, he is the infinite. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even before God had formed the earth and the world, the land, from everlasting and everlasting, the Lord is God. So notice the order of origin. Moses looking out of the mountains, maybe, and he points out the opposite, even before those mountains took shape. And even before the creation, God is. God exists. Moses is taking us back further and further in time. And so before all, God is. Why is that important? Why is that important as he, as he prays this? Why is this important for us? If we are asking, teach us to number our days, it may be helpful to consult the ancient of all days. God is great. God is greatly to be praised. And he's beyond and above all creation. Our God is a timeless and endless God. Our life has meaning if we have a relationship with the everlasting God. And our life has value, especially if we have God's blessing upon our life and our work. And so as we live, we must live within the sovereignty of God. We must understand that we we don't control our own life, but God holds life. God controls human life. This is a sobering verse. You returned man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So we don't dictate the tempo. We don't set the limits. We don't set the limits of life, but God does. God sets the limits of life. The prayer goes on in verse 4. It continues with a towering view of God from eternal perspective. For a thousand years in your sight, are, but as yesterday when it's past, or a watch of the night, it just comes. And then comes the illustration that talked about the brevity of life, the suddenness of of life stopping. 
And no matter how much we prepare, death comes suddenly. And so the psalm is turning. First, it's praising God, especially for his eternality. And he's always been the dwelling place. And then it talks about the brevity here of life, how life stops, how life comes to a sudden stop. And he uses illustration. The first one he uses is that that life is short. It's a sweeping flood. The psalmist says, you sweep them away as with a flood. And of course, many of us that lived here in the Delta area are familiar with flood. And how just with a downpour that just comes constantly, um, and come much, can easily flood the area. Our nation is familiar with flooding, especially again with the outpouring of, of rain and in dry areas, that all of a sudden a, a flood comes through a dry riverbed or a stream, and it just takes, it goes fast and it goes furious and takes up everything in its midst. That's used as an expression to understand how suddenness of life comes to an end, or how a person's life can disappear just as once. When somebody passed from death to life, sometimes we wonder, how short life is. And it gives credence to the next illustration that's kind of hidden right there. It's, it is, the next illustration is it, life is like a dream. You wake up and it's, and it's over. The final illustration of the brevity or the briefness in life is like grass in the morning that flourishes and by the evening it, it fades and, and withers away. And of course, the psalmist was familiar with the dry and arid and hot conditions in the area. And so it was quite noticeable the morning dew giving evidence of the budding of the grass, but then the heat takes over. And the dry condition causes the the grass to wither, and so it's no more by, by evening time. That's how short life is. Knowing all these illustrations convey the sense of a briefness in life. And so understanding this makes us think that we have one life and we need to make the most of what God gives us. One noted missionary, C.T. Studd, once wrote the poem, Only One Life. And here's an excerpt from from that uh, poem. Only One Life. Yes, only one. Soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The perspective that the missionary had knowing we only have one life and to invest it in eternal things, beginning with God. So the first part of the Psalm 90 deals with God's eternality. The second part deals with man's brevity. And the third part of Psalm 90 deals with man's depravity, as well as God's wrath. The next couple of verses reads, in verse 7, 8, and 9, it says, We are brought to end by your anger, 
and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a, like a sigh. And so the psalmist tells us our bre- the briefness of life is directly correlated with God's wrath. Think of the phrase, by your wrath, or God's wrath. How God deals with the severity of sin may be misunderstood by many people. Some people feel like, well, God, you're not patient enough. Or some people feel that you lash out in temper that's out of control. Or some people feel that God shouldn't even punish us at all. But the Bible never communicates God's wrath this way. Let me just share you four points in terms of um, God's about God's wrath. The first point is that God's wrath is just, or God's wrath is fair. God's authority word says, because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness will be revealed. And that's in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. You see, God must act justly to sin, otherwise he would not be God. The second thing that we need to understand about God's wrath, it is consistent. It is consistent throughout Scripture, from Genesis to to Revelation, Old Testament to the New Testament. They say the same things. The prophet Nahum says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. He says it again, the Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversary and keeps wrath on his enemies. Couple that with Romans chapter 1 that says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It makes us think, especially when our world cries foul, when it comes to God's justice. But we should know that God's wrath is consistent and fair in Scripture throughout all generations. Another thing that we need to be very clear on when it comes to God's wrath, that is only satisfied with Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We have sung in previous weeks. God has reversed the curse. So Jesus had reversed the curse by taking upon himself the curse that was meant for us. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Scripture tells us for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And before that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 verse 21 verse 20 says We implore you to be reconciled to God. I echo the same sentiments of Scripture. I implore you to be reconciled before God. Another thing that we need to understand about God's wrath is God's God's wrath is love and action. And sometimes we don't associate both God's wrath and God's love at the same time, but here in Scripture it does. If you want to turn to, to 1 John, you can. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. 
because it tells us about God's love. It says, in this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so when we think about God's wrath, it is love in action. And so as we grasp the truth about God's wrath, do we grasp it, honestly grasp it with his, his wrath, also understanding about his mercy and love with it for us? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, understanding in terms of God's wrath, what should be our response living in the fallen world with our depraved nature? The psalmist tells us in terms of the response that we should have in light of God's wrath. Because what does he say? He says, return. Return to me, O God. He wants to be restored. He wants to be renewed. The psalmist prays, Lord, teach us to number our days. In other words, to be aware of the limitations of life. I may receive or give a heart of wisdom. Life is too short and eternity is too long for us not to seek the Lord in prayer. And so as the psalmist closes out the the psalms, he, he gives four items of prayer, beginning with teach us to number our days. Teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses' words summarize what we need to know and understand to make our lives count. We need to live it one day at a time. However, we usually do not number our days, don't we? Instead, we usually number our years. We usually recognize in terms of years like birthdays. um, The younger, of course, always eager to celebrate birthdays and understand the number of years. While the older we get, we tend to either forget or we we tend not not to really recognize in terms of the years. But, the, but in terms of decades, God is gracious enough to give us more years, even when the Psalms mentions in 60s and 70 years. The psalmist is praying, we need to number our days. Live one day at a time. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily prayer. Seeking God on a daily basis and how we may be help, more helpful, how we may be more hospitable around the home, home and, and beyond, making the most of the days, not so much what we do, but even how we do things, whatever we do to the glory of God, even to avoid waste and sinful living on a daily basis. Moses, again, gives us instructions what to pray for. Teach us to number our days. Secondly, he, he mentions in terms of his prayer, satisfy us with your loving kindness in the morning. All of our days may be glad. And so he, he says, begin each day with God. When, you're, when your cup is overflowed and you understand the, the everlasting love of, of God, it's much easier to pour his love into the cup of others. And so as we begin our day, 
being satisfied with God's steadfast love, that you may rejoice, that you may be glad in all your days, and may you pour that type of love to, to others. The third thing, it's a little bit more hard, difficult to understand, but to make glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, in verse 15, or as many years as we have seen evil, is asking God to make you glad even in the midst of, of, of uh, difficulty or affliction. Again, this might, might be the most difficult because it's not easy to walk in the Spirit, especially if you are sick or injured or had a setback. However, it's possible. And it might be even more difficult if, you, if there's days that you have wasted. But the New Testament we understand in terms of the Apostle Paul, who made frequent assertions of how difficult things led to even greater things in the Lord. Even temporary trouble became triumphs in the advancement of the gospel. Even trials became a treasure of knowing and experiencing the power of God. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 9, so to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Asking God to make you glad even in the midst of affliction. The last emphasis in terms of the prayer is labor for the lasting and not for the passing. The last couple of verses said, Let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The psalmist is asking, what can we do? Let's do the work of the Lord. And if you think about it, when the fullness of time has come, had come, God had answered Moses' prayer. The one from everlasting to everlasting descended into time and robed himself here on earth. He tasted the curse of life cut short and took upon God's wrath on the cross, which was meant for us. Then this Savior rose up in the resurrection as the first fruit of the new, new curse-free creation. And now in Jesus Christ, our lives and our labor as we trust in him are not swept away, but established in the commanding truth by God's grace. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. So labor for the lasting, not for the passing. And so as we think about the Psalms, how then shall we live today or any day? How shall we go forward to the, in the new year? Begin each day with God and humbly ask, Lord, teach me to number our days.
Let us pray. Lord God, as we come before you, we thank you, Father, that we could praise you, Father, for being the everlasting God. We thank you, Father, for the eternal life that you freely offer in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for giving us days, even a day like today. For each morning, your mercies are new, and each evening, your grace is evident. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would clothe us in all humility. That, Father, we would be quickened to respond to your will and to keep your, de- keep your ways. Father, help us to be humble, to always keep the end of life in view, to be cured of, of folly, folly of delay or indecisiveness. Help us to number our days and to ply the heart of your wisdom. Father, we pray, especially as we go about our days, that you give us, that we would make our lives count for all eternity. Not that we're doing anything more, but the Father, you've given us the privilege, Father, to glorify you in the days and the strength that we have. And so, Father, as we go forth, whatever we do, help us to do it for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.